Why does God allow suffering? This is a long-discussed question that has become increasingly focused on throughout history and is especially relevant in the current season that we are in today, as many of us have been impacted and are continuing to be impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. While we can't fully understand the reason people suffer, we know that God's will is sovereign and good. I'm Justin Begley, and this is Magnify. does God allow suffering? Is he capable of stopping it? Is he willing to stop it? I want to take a look at the book of Job to try to tackle this question of suffering. The book of Job is, is set in a place called Uz, and which is a place outside of Israel. And, and Job was a man who loved God and, and is said to have had complete integrity. He had a big family with seven sons and three daughters and was rather wealthy with a large plot of land, 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and large number of servants, which were like hired help for, for work in the fields. And this all comes out of uh, the first chapter of Job. He consistently sacrificed to the Lord to atone him and his families for their sins, indicating that he was very faithful to God. Even God himself said that Job is a, a man of perfect integrity. So, so he was clearly living a life that could be characterized as faithful and trusting of the Lord. But then one day, something changed. I'm going to read right from Scripture, starting in Job 1.6. It says, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased it in, in the land. But stretch out your hands and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the, the Sabines swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants which with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. I burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in your oldest brother's house. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So you see, Job, a man that was faithful to God his entire life, someone who God himself called a man of absolute and perfect integrity, had everything that one would call good in his life, uh, everything that, that, that one could ever hope to have, all of that was taken away from him by Satan. All of his wealth was taken, even his children, all seven of his sons and all three of his daughters. Just think about that for a second. I can't even imagine the pain that Job must have been feeling because the loss of a child is, is pain that, that really is not comparable. And I don't have kids, but but 
that is a pain that that really is 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 immeasurable. Everything that was important to him, everything that the Lord blessed him with, was absolutely gone. Now I don't I don't even know how I would respond and process something like that. But do you know that w- what Job did? Let's let's take a look at the next verse, verse twenty. It says, "Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground worshiping, saying." Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. So even though Job went through this horrific tragedy in his life, he did not blame the Lord, but instead it, it's, it says that Job blessed the Lord's name and worshipped him. Now really quick, I want to address the question that many of you probably have right now regarding this story. I want to guess... Uh, I would guess that that question is, did God do this to Job, or was it Satan? Um, that, that's a question that's kind of been debated over the book of Job uh, for, for a long time. But because we see God kind of agreeing to Satan's request to test Job, uh, it seems like uh, maybe maybe God did did encourage Satan to do this, or maybe he did allow Satan to do this. Well, the simple answer is, God didn't do that. Uh, he, he allowed Satan to do it, but he didn't encourage Satan to do it. And it was it was actually Satan that, that caused all of this. But it, it's an interesting theological question because what this conversation between God and Satan in Job 1 shows is that Satan, even though he is the enemy and the one that rebelled against God, still must submit himself to God because he f- still falls under God's authority. He must come before God and, and get approval for all of his actions, for, for everything that, that he does. But but why would allow why would God allow Satan to go after Job like this? Why would he allow him to 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 take away everything that, that Job cherishes? Well looking at the story we can see that God acknowledges that that only a genuine test could demonstrate to Satan whether Job's devotion to the Lord was really strong or, or simply the result of God's blessings that were provided to Job, as, as the enemy had suggested. So this was really a testing of Job's faith, not so that God could see if, jo- if Job's faith was real, because he already knew that it was, but rather for, for Job to come to understand the the high quality of his own faith. God wanted Job to understand it because he knew that that. Even though God knew that Job was faithful, he knew that Job didn't have a full understanding of how strong his faith actually was. So in addition to that, God had purposes for Job uh, and, and for, for the good of his life and, and his eternity that could only come through and be realized by his suffering. It was, it was a demonstration of God's sovereign will because Job was positioned to serve God's purpose, which, in the case of Job, was to put God's glory on display through the suffering of one of his faithful servants. Uh, we, we've talked about kind of purposeful life in, in past episodes where we've discussed seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and, and living a life to glorify God and magnify Jesus. I mean, that's what this whole podcast is about. So that's the purpose of our lives. So in the case of Job, God is using Job to put his glory on display through through his suffering. But you can see suffering can be a sacred trust allowed by God to bring the person who is experiencing such a tragedy into full dependence on and trust in God. It's interesting because the name Job actually means where is the father. So the question then uh, shouldn't be where is God when I need him, uh, but is God actually sufficient for everything in life, and is he trustworthy? So that that's kind of what, what, what the, the term Job is getting at. And of course, the answer to this question is, 
is is God sufficient for everything in life? And is he trustworthy? Is yes, because God is trustworthy. He is merciful. He is sovereign. He is omnipotent. And he is the source of our strength, guidance, and success. God's glory is revealed when we lean into our faith and rely on the strength and the guidance of the Lord to carry us through our suffering. And that's the purpose of our lives. That, that is why God created us, to be in loving relationship with him and to put his glory on display so that the whole world can see it. We see the, this through the scriptures that our, our purpose in this world is to love God and glorify him. You see in First Chronicles 16, 9-10, it says, Sing to him, sing praises to him, meditate and talk of all his wondrous works and devoutly praise them. Glory is his holy name. Let hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. And the prophet Isaiah uh, says this too. In, in Isaiah 43, 7, he says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. So God created us for his own glory. So Job suffered immensely and then glorified God in the midst of it. That's what we see in, in, in Job 1. But even though he had lost so much, the enemy, unfortunately, wasn't done with Job just yet. Let's look at Job 2, starting in verse 1. It says, One day the son, the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming the earth, Satan answered him, and walking on around it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on the earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So Satan causes Job to get infected with this terrible skin disease that, that really is quite tormenting towards him. And if you've read the book of Leviticus, kind of the Le Levitical law, you know you, you may remember that the quarantine laws surrounding the problem of leprosy, this kind of generic uh, term for... for uh, for skin disease, you basically had to leave the camp, which is like the camp of Israel, and yell out to everyone that's around you, unclean, unclean, so that everyone would know not to come near you. So it was a really quite a humiliating thing. And, and so Job not only was suffering from his pain, but now he was also suffering from embarrassment because he was having to, to um, kind of abide by this Levitical law. Following this so-called second test by Satan, Job goes into this whole speech basically wishing he had never been born because he has lost so much that he might as well be dead. He says in Job 3, 25-26, For the thing I feared has overtaken me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I cannot relax or be calm. I have no rest, for, for turmoil has come. And then as Job is kind of pondering all of these feelings that, that he's having, his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, uh, effectively tell Job that he is suffering because he must have sinned against God, that, that because Job must have committed some sin, God is responding negatively to that and, and making him suffer for it. Well, I'll tell you, if, if I was going through tough times, if I was suffering, 
I would not want to have friends like Job's friends. Uh, they're telling me something like that. It's not the most comforting and compassionate thing here. You know, what Job really needed was love and, and, and support. But also, it's not even theologically correct. So when we suffer, that may not actually be because we have particularly sinned. Now, I want to be clear with this because deliberately choosing to sin in the long run does lead to ultimate and eternal suffering because it leads to eternal separation from God. Also, I want to mention the fact that we as humans are not living in the condition that we're supposed to be living in because of what went down during the fall. So suffering is definitely experienced because of, of the fall, which is where sin actually entered the world. But in the case of sinning leading to suffering in, in this life, I, I do think that will eventually be the case if you choose to live your life in sin and without repentance, without putting your trust and faith in Jesus. But I, but I don't believe that suffering is always the result of a particular sin. You see, God does not promise us a life without suffering. Look at the Jews when, when they were captive in Egypt. They suffered. Or look at the apostles who were on mission to spread the gospel. Pretty much all of them were killed for their faith. And of course, the, the most important example, look at Jesus. He came to suffer so that in eternity, we could be saved from eternal suffering. And Jesus is, is the only one to have ever lived a sinless life, and yet he still suffered because it was God's will that his glory be put on display through the death of Jesus. So our sins, while they do cause eternal suffering in the long run, if, if, we, do not, uh, if we do not turn from them and turn towards Jesus, that's not necessarily the reason why we suffer. Our sins are not necessarily the reasons that that we suffer in the immediate term. As I stated in the beginning, sometimes that reason is just outside our, our realm of understanding, but we know that if, if we trust God and rely on his strength, that we'll give him ultimate glory. So I'm taking this from Romans 5, 3, 3 to 5, which says we rejoice in, or in another trans may say glory in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us so in our suffering we know that we have the Holy Spirit the advocate with us who we can lean into so he can give us the strength to guide us through our suffering however as as he continued to listen to his friends Job chooses to not actually rely on God anymore, but to lead into his own understanding. So he, he started to not just question why he was suffering, but turned on God and actually started questioning God himself. And so as we read, uh, we, we see Job start to proclaim to God all of these all of the good works he has done and all the reasons why he's innocent, doesn't deserve to suffer uh, the way he suffered because he's such a he feels he's such a good man, he's such a man of high integrity that, that he just does not deserve the suffering he's been given. So just as his friends blamed him for sinning, Job was now blaming God for basically not appreciating his good works and devotion to him. But then something absolutely crazy happens. God actually directly inserts himself into the narrative. He directly responds to Job's newfound cynicism and pride. And, and so now you know something interesting is going to happen because God is actually in the story now. He's actually talking directly to Job. You know what the first thing God says to Job in, in Job 38? He says, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Now, ju just for a second, imagine being in Job's situation. 
God appears out of this kind of whirlwind or, or, or a storm of sorts. And the first thing he says to Job is, get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. So if God, if God were saying this to me, I would be so scared. I, I literally would not even know what to do. The God who created the entire universe literally just pops out of the clouds after having listened to Job accuse him of acting unjustly and says, okay, fine. You want to tell me how much you know about how the world works? Okay, tell me, inform me, come here like a man and answer me to answer my questions to my face. How do you respond to something like that? How do you respond to God asking you to answer to, to his questions? Now, of course, what, what God is, is doing here is, is trying to help Job understand that, that he's a finite human being and God is infinite, that Job cannot possibly have the understanding that, God's ha- that God has. It's interesting because I'm usually up for, for a good debate, but my gosh, to be challenged by the Lord God, the Father, the Creator, the Holy of Holies, if I were Job, I would have absolutely no, no words. But, but let's see what, what, ha- what happens here when we're continuing in, in uh, Job 38. It says, Where were you when I established the earth? And this is God talking to Job, asking him questions. Tell me if you have an understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of, of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and total darkness its blanket? When I determined its boundaries and, and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no, but no further, you proud wave, stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or, or assigned the dawn its place so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as, as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like the folds of, of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked and the arm raised and violence is broken. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked the depths of the oceans? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. And then God kind of goes on to continue uh, asking Job additional questions. And, and it's, it, you read it, and, and Job is just absolutely silent, probably awing at the fact that God is directly speaking to him, also scared, probably out of his mind. So in, in Job 40, the Lord concludes by asking, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. So now God is is demanding an answer to all of these questions. How was the earth formed? Do you know how the seas were formed? Do you know how the world works? Can you understand and comprehend the extent of the earth? He says, give me an answer. So obviously we, we, we even, even scientists cannot answer these questions because because God is is such an infinite being, and we are so finite that we have no level or ability to comprehend this. So what are you supposed to say to the question from God, give me an answer? It's God tells Job to give him an, an, give him an answer to all of his questions. And, and both God and Job know that, and, 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 and we would know too if we were in, in, in Job's position, that Job can't do that. He can't give an answer because he, he cannot possibly understand even a tiny fraction of of the infinite God. But how often do we find ourselves in, in this position where we are questioning God in the midst of some level of suffering that we're going through, just like Job did? I can bet a few of you have during this this pandemic. I know I have. Questioning why this is happening. Why are people suffering like this? Why are so many people dying of this virus? 
and and these are natural questions. I'm not I'm not going to downplay that, but we want to refrain from questioning God and 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 His will and and plan because we cannot possibly understand an infinite God as finite people. And this is exactly what Job is realizing as he's being questioned by by the Lord. So listen to what 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 Job says uh, back to God, starting in chapter forty, verse three. It says, "Then Job answered the Lord, I'm so insignificant." How can I answer you? And then later in Job 42, 3, Job says to the Lord, Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. Therefore I reject my words, and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. So that's the proper response. It's You have to humble yourself before the Lord and say, You're, You know what, Lord, you're, you're right. I, I have no understanding of these things. I am nothing but dust and ashes and, and, and insignificance. But... In you, I, I have significance, so I need to stop leaning on my own understanding and start leaning only on yours. So you see Job repent of his sins against God and, and humbles himself before the Lord because he realized this. He realizes that, that and as we all should realize, that God is infinite and we're finite, and God's will is sovereign and cannot be thwarted under any circumstances. You see, our worldview, our understanding of how things work on this planet is, is very limited, regardless of what scientists and atheists may tell you. God is bigger than, than we could possibly ever imagine, and, and, and his will is good, even if we can't understand why, it might, why, why things might be happening in that moment. But God will take care of us, even if we cannot understand the reason for our suffering, because as Romans 8.28 says, says we, we know that all things work together for, for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. So God loves us, and he will take care of us if we choose to trust him. But Job's story doesn't end there. Look, look at how God restores Job after his repentance. So starting in, in Job 42.10, it says, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him and, com- and comforted him concerning all the adversity that the Lord brought on him. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. So Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of days. After all the tests from the Lord, Job in the end proved to be faithful, even if he had to receive kind of a little bit of instruction from the Lord along the way. And in trusting in the Lord, God blessed him with double the wealth that he had before and was even given seven sons and three daughters, the exactly same number he had before. And it's said that he lived a long and, and fulfilling life, faithfully walking with the Lord. Now, of course, these ten children don't replace the ten that had died, but it, it is an expansion of Job's family and shows that God will provide for his faithful followers. And Job now had the hope of being reunited with his first ten children for when he went home to be with the Lord. So we see through this story of Job that although suffering may seem to occur without reason, God may be using that suffering to put his glory on display through his faithful servants. We can't possibly understand all the reasons that God does what he does, but we do know this. God is sovereign and his sovereign will is good, and he works for the good of those who love him. But I also think that that we can take some encouragement from the story of Job that, that I pray we can remember when we actually ourselves experience suffering. The first is that we're not alone in our suffering. So once Job realized that God is infinite and that he could not possibly understand the vastness of God and, and his will, 
He chose to lean into God and, and he prayed. So Job came to an understanding that he could only endure through his suffering if God gave him the strength to do so. And God gives us the strength. As Romans 5 says, suffering produces endurance. And, and we are able to endure through our suffering because of the presence of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's what kind of Romans 5 says there. And I, I think it's important to also remember that Jesus himself suffered for us on the cross. So Jesus, who, who lived a completely sinless life, he himself suffered. He's often actually referred to as the suffering servant. So God is a God who understands us and who and who understands the suffering that we experience because he himself experienced it in his dying on the cross. Think about his death. He was beaten. He was tortured and killed so that we could have life. God intimately understands our suffering, so he, so he will, will give you comfort and strength to get through it. And the second and last point of, of encouragement that I want you to take away and, and, and remember in the midst of your own suffering, if you should unfortunately experience it, I want you to take away that we have hope in our suffering. We have hope in our suffering. Listen again to what happened to Job after having suffered. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored him, restored his fortunes, and doubled his previous possessions. So God restored Job. He, Even though Job experienced tragic suffering, God was with him and gave him hope and restored him by blessing Job with double of what he possessed before. And in, in later, it says that Job actually, after having experienced the suffering, lived a fulfilled life. So we, we have hope in our suffering, knowing that one day God will restore us in Jesus Christ. Listen to what, what it says in, in 1 Peter 5.10. Peter says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, what I imagine is that Peter is actually, at least in somewhat, referencing the story of Job when he uses that, that terminology that he's using. Peter was, was, would have understood the book of, of Job, and he would have been familiar with it because he himself was a Jew, so he would have actually studied it. So Peter then would have had the perspective of both God's faithfulness to Job and God's faithfulness to the world through Jesus. And Paul, think about Paul, who experienced his fair share of suffering and being locked up in jail and eventually uh, being martyred, says in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And finally, uh, when when John in, in Revelation is having his his visions, kind of what what is to come into the future is kind of is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Revelation twenty one four says, "He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more; neither shall there be mourning." nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So even though we may experience temporary suffering, we have credible hope that God will restore us, that he will bless us with the full extent of his glory, and that he will wipe away every single tear from our eyes and bring an end to suffering when King Jesus reigns and the kingdom of God is fully established. You see, as Christians, we don't need to speculate about the future because it has already been revealed to us. We, we read the book of Revelations and, and of Second Thessalonians. We know exactly how this ends. We have victory and, and peace when King Jesus reigns. We know how our story ends. Even if we have to suffer in this life, it's nothing compared to the infinite glory that God will reveal to us in eternity. You know, the late and, and, and great Christian apologist Rabbi Zacharias said, The biblical worldview 
is the only one that accepts the reality of evil and suffering while giving both the cause and the purpose, while offering God-given strength and sustenance in the midst of it. So in the midst of our suffering, we have a comforter and hope because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. In Jesus, we have strength to endure and we have eternal life because, well, you know what Jesus said? He said, because I live, you also will live. So to the question, why does God allow suffering? Well, we could never possibly come to understand every single reason for every particular instance of suffering. We just can't do it. We're too finite. We don't have an understanding of God's infinite wisdom and infinite will. But, but what we know is that God's sovereign will is good. And he uses our suffering to put his glory on display so that others can see. If you're currently experiencing any level of suffering, I would encourage you to lean into the truth that we talked about today and also lean into the promise that God gives to us in Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord and and rejoice in your suffering as God calls us to do, knowing that with the strength of God, you will endure and you will experience eternal harmony with the Father. And always remember that God is a God who knows exactly what you are going through. When I was 14, I remember moving thousands and thousands of pounds of concrete with my father to build a deck at our, at our house. And as I was doing this, my, my back was aching, my legs were shaking, my arms were giving out as I continued to carry each bag of concrete. I was a small kid when I was 14. I was very, I was very light. I was, I was very short. And, and, and doing this, it, it was painful. And I looked at my dad in the midst of, of the pain and exhaustion I was experiencing, and he said, I know, son, I, I know. This is tough. I'm hurting too. But we will get through this together. That right there is what God offers us in Jesus Christ. God bless. Thank you.